Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, Sharon presents Part 1 of the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 10. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Last time we heard this, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed, when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Pope John Paul has a quote about the rosary. He says, Do not be ashamed to recite the rosary alone while you walk along the streets to school, to the university, or to work, or as you commute on public transport. Don't be ashamed of the rosary. The blessed rosary of Mary is a sweet chain linking us to God. He says that the rosary is really just contemplating Christ with Mary. And we saw John Paul over the years, many photo after photo, him with his rosary until the very, very end of his life. And in one of his apostolic letters called Rosarium Virginius Maria, he introduced five new luminous mysteries. It was October of 2002. Can he do that? That's what we said. Can he do that? Yes, he can do that. He can do that. He was contemplating the life of Christ and he said, there's five really good ones missing and they're called the luminous mysteries and they're full of light. And we've covered four of them as of today in Luke. First was the baptism of Jesus Christ, Luke 3. Then we know the wedding in Cana comes in John chapter 2. But today, the proclamation of the kingdom of God, we're ongoing on that from Luke chapter 1 on. Transfiguration, we had last week, that's a luminous mystery of God's glory. And then also last week, the institution of the Holy Eucharist, we got that first foreshadowing in the feeding of the 5,000. We'll see it again in Luke 22. We'll see it again in Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. So the luminous mysteries were added in 2002. We know Benedict loves the rosary, and we know that Francis has instructed us. He said this, prayer is the weapon against the great accuser who goes around the world seeking to accuse. Only prayer can defeat him. The Russian mystics and the great saints of all traditions advised in moments of spiritual turbulence to shelter beneath the mantle of the Holy Mother of God. The Pope said that the recitation of the rosary would invoke Mary's intercession, placing the church under her protective mantle. And through the rosary prayer, Mary joins us. She fights at our side. She supports Christians in the fight against the forces of evil. Pope Francis also encouraged that Catholics should end the rosary with the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. And that was composed by Pope Leo XIII. Leo said this, The race of man, after its miserable fall from God, the creator and the giver of heavenly gifts, through the envy of the devil, separated into two diverse and opposite parts, of which the one steadfastly contends for truth and virtue, and the other those things which are contrary to virtue and to truth. So he's saying there's a battle going on, a spiritual battle. One side represents truth and virtue, the other side Anything contrary to truth, lies, and anything contrary to virtue, vice. So it's a pretty clear-cut, black and white, God's on one side of this battle, Satan is on the other. Truth and virtue are on one side, lies and vice are on the other. Psalm 119, the sum of thy word is truth. 
John 9, there is no truth in Satan. And when he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So we see light and life together, dark and death together. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So ultimately, it's a heaven-hell thing going on in the balances. And Jesus says today to the 70s, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Luke is the only one that has it. Jesus himself, eyewitness, saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan fell like lightning from heaven. And after that fall, Satan tempted man and woman in the Garden of Eden. We know the serpent was more subtle than any wild creature the Lord God had made. And if you look up synonyms for subtle, he's cunning, he's clever, he's sly, he's sneaky, he's deceptive. And he is an excellent liar. It's his native language. And he told them, you can be your own little G gods. Satan, says St. Paul, can disguise himself as an angel of light. And Lucifer, the fallen angel, duped human creatures on that day. And human creatures were expelled from God's garden of paradise. But this was out of God's kindest, kindest love. And it's crazy, but because God loved all his creatures, he loved us above all created things. And God wanted to protect the creatures from eating from that tree of life. Now more than ever, because they have mortal sin on their soul. And if they eat from the tree of life and have eternal life now with mortal sin on their soul, they'll be forever separated from God. So it's an absolute mercy. God knows right where they're going to go. He knows right where they're going to go, to the tree of life. Why wouldn't you? They've been wounded. They're going to go to the tree of medicine. It says in Ezekiel and Revelation, the leaves of the tree are medicine for the nations. And if they did that with mortal sin on their soul and ate from that tree and lived forever now, they'd be forever separated from God. So that's also why we go to confession first before we have the bread of life. We want a clean soul, a pure soul, a holy soul to take him in in that eternal bread of life. Paul says, whoever eats the bread of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body of the Lord. And so Catholic churches offer confession Saturday afternoon. So for Sunday, you have a clean soul to receive. So when they're banished out of God's love and mercy... There's a chasm. There's a cherubim with a fiery sword guarding that tree of life so they don't eat out of it. And who goes on their side? That sneaky little guy, Satan. He goes with them. And all the paintings, you see the snake. The snake is with them. The snake exits paradise with them. There he is prowling the world. And he becomes the ruler of the earthly world. Jesus had witnessed his fall from grace. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And the Trinity existed outside of time and space. And before God created the human creatures, he had created his angels. And God said, God spoke the word because all things are created through God, through his word. And John 1, 3 says, through him, and he's talking about Jesus, all things were made. Without him, without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. So God spoke the word. The word is Jesus Christ. And we say in the Nicene Creed every Sunday that Jesus is consubstantial with the Father. And through him, through Jesus, all things were made. So that's including the angels. God spoke the word and he spoke the angels into being. But the angels didn't know that Jesus Christ would be God's eternal son and incarnate logos. God had an idea from before the beginning of time, before he even created the angels, he had a plan. Angels are mentioned 108 times in the Old Testament and 165 times in the New Testament. So at least 273 times in the Bible we hear about angels. They are real. They are not an imagination. 
They're an invisible reality, and sometimes they appeared in Scripture 273 times. But before humans were created, the angels were made. So they are created beings, but they're not creatures. They're spirits. In Colossians, Paul says, for in him, in Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So angels are pure spirit. They're highly intelligent, spiritual beings. Your grandchildren are not little angels. And they'll never be little angels. When they die, they don't turn into angels. They're creatures. So just as humans had a fall from grace, some of the angels, exactly a third of them, also had a fall from grace. They get a test from God just like the humans did. Theirs came first. Artwork depicts the fall of the angels. And it's beautiful to see these works of art and imagine. The scripture also depicts the fall of the angels. Where? In Revelation chapter 12. A great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was with child. She cried out in her pangs of birth in anguish for delivery. And another portent appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems upon his heads. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. That one third of the stars swept down are the fallen angels. And there was one which rose above all the rest to lead the rebellion. He was a beast. He was a dragon. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child that he might devour her child the minute she brought it forth. And the dragon's name was Lucifer. He was the leader of the fallen angels and they are now called demons. Lucifer means in the Hebrew light bearer. He was a beautiful, pure spirit that God had created. But the angels didn't know that Jesus Christ would be God's eternal son and the eternal logos, the eternal plan of God. Lucifer thought he himself was the firstborn son of all creation, that he had been created first. Lucifer was dazzling light, power, great intelligence. And St. Thomas Aquinas, using scripture, helps us name the hierarchy of angels. The highest hierarchy in rank, the seraphim, followed by the cherubim, followed by the thrones, followed by dominions, virtues, and then powers. And the lowest hierarchy in descending rank, principalities, archangels, and angels. And you can read more about angels in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Wonderful reading. Not all scholars agree, but Dr. Peter Kraft, in his book called Angels and Demons, places Lucifer with the seraphim. That's Jewish tradition. Places Lucifer with the seraphim, the highest order rank of angels. And when we say archangel, like Michael the archangel, arc in Greek is a word for leader, a leading angel. So Dr. Kraft also classifies Michael as a seraphim, an archangel seraphim, a leader of the seraphim, especially after Satan was kicked out of heaven, Michael becomes the highest rank. So the archangel in the seraph order. Seraphims reside closest to God. They are in the choir of the seraphim. And the seraphims are the highest order of the angels and they praise God unceasingly and they have six wings. The six wings protect their faces and their torsos from what? From the extreme brilliance of being in God's presence. So they wrap their wings around for protection. And the word seraphim is derived from the Hebrew word seraph, which literally means burning ones. The light is so bright of God. The guardian angels are in the lowest of the hierarchy. And Jesus says in Matthew 18, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always behold the face of my father who is in heaven. Guardian angels have one eye on God and one eye on 
the one they guard. And each guardian angel is assigned from the moment of human conception, that new soul and body, that new creation is assigned a guardian angel that will usher them until they get into paradise or not. Angels also worship around the throne of God. We see in Revelation 5, I looked, John said, I heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Our catechism tells us that faith makes us taste in advance the light of the beatific vision, the goal of our journey here below. Then we shall see God face to face as he is, like Paul says. So faith is already the beginning of eternal life. Now, the beatific vision is when we see God as he really is in heaven with all his majesty, all his glory, and it is the moment that all humans were put on earth for, to get to the beatific vision. And St. Thomas Aquinas in his Summa Theologica said that angels could not have been granted the beatific vision in its full power because it would have been impossible for the soon-to-be-fallen angels to have chosen sin over such splendors of beatific vision. So he figures they couldn't have seen it, the whole entire thing. But the angels were given a test, he said. Given a test, a time of testing to prove their true allegiance to God or not. The same way Adam and Eve got a test in Eden with the tree of knowledge. And so God had this plan from before the beginning of time, and he explained it to the angels. And part of the plan was that a second person of himself in a second person of God who is love of the Trinity would come and become incarnate flesh, creature flesh, and he would go down and unite himself to the creatures and bring the creatures back up to divinity. And Satan heard this plan. Lucifer heard this plan. You got to be kidding me. This is your plan that God would become flesh, creature flesh, 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 creature flesh, and unite creature flesh into... and he, and he would have a human mother, purely human, totally 100% creature, woman. That, that, and he would somehow open the gates of heaven back to the Father and, and bring them with him. And someday those creatures would be higher than us, the angels, like this Mary lady. She would be crowned queen of heaven. Well, Lucifer did not like this plan. She will be assumed into heaven one day and crowned queen of heaven and earth and be higher than I am. Are you kidding me? Crowned queen of heaven and earth, raised higher than the saints, raised higher than the angels, this creature, and she would sit at the right hand of Jesus for all eternity as he sits at the right hand of the Father. Are you, Satan was shown God's logos, and with full intelligence, he stated, no, 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 I will not serve. I will not serve this plan. I will not serve this logos. I will not serve this idea. I will not serve. I will not serve. And he leads a rebellion of the angels in heaven that day. And one third go along with him. We will not serve. We will not serve. They go to team Lucifer. And Michael, another seraph, the archangel, the leader angel, becomes a real leader that day because his name, Michael, in Hebrew means who is like God. And it's a rhetorical question. Who is like God? Who is like God? Because Satan thought he was. And Michael said, I will serve. I will serve. And two-thirds of the angels gathered around Michael. Who is like God? God alone is holy. God alone is Lord. God alone is most high. And they would take Michael's side. And there would be a great battle in heaven that day. It's a battle of intellect. It's a battle of wills. It's a battle of powers. And Jesus saw the winner. Jesus said, I watched Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus was eyewitness to this battle. And he says it in Luke. 
The angel of light was cast out of heaven, Lucifer. He falls, and now he's the angel of blackness, the angel of dark. And he has taken one-third of the fallen angels with him. They're now called demons, and the goal is to prevent human creatures from gaining what the fallen angels have lost, heaven and the beatific vision. So fallen angels are called demons. They have contempt for God's divine plan of salvation for humanity, for human creatures. They are jealous of the Virgin Mother's role, the Virgin Mary's role as the mother of the Savior because it elevates humans higher than angels. And the demons don't like that Jesus is God's only begotten son and God's first true creation and it wasn't them. And Hebrews 1 tells us, for to what angel did God ever say, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Or again, to what angel did God ever say, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son? None. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Let all the angels worship this creature. They appeared in the sky in Luke and the shepherds saw them and they say, glory to God in the highest. Angels, go see this newborn babe. And the fallen angels, the demons followed Lucifer's decision and his insatiable pride. And they too refused to give God allegiance. We will not serve. And Hebrews 1 says, are they the angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve for the sake of those who are to obtain salvation, the creatures? It's again a rhetorical question. Of course they are. The angels are to minister to creatures. The angels are there for our salvation. They're to serve us. But the son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of thy kingdom. So pride did go before the fall, big pride before especially Lucifer. And pride also went before Adam and Eve in their test because he, the king of pride, tempted them into pride. And their children will also fall, and they will fall into pride. And it says in the Catechism at 4.10 that after his fall, man was not abandoned by God. On the contrary, God calls him and in a mysterious way heralds the coming victory over evil and his restoration from his fall. God knows this was part of God's eternal plan from before the beginning of time. He's not going to abandon man. He's created us this way, this creaturely way. He loves us that much. Immediately after that fall, God says to Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, the virgin woman, and between your seed and her seed. And her seed's going to crush your head and you'll bruise his heel. And then years and years and years later, it's the perfect storm. And Paul tells us in Galatian form, when the time had finally come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. Christ is going to be our brother. God is going to be our father. The jig is up, Satan. This isn't going to be your kingdom anymore. Paul says that you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air. Not anymore. The jig's up. Now is the judgment of this world, says John. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. The jig's up, Satan. Your time is over. What two things did Satan harness humanity with? What did he slap on us? What did he trap us in? Sin? and death. And we were stuck. Sin, that original sin, was in our DNA, our human DNA. Now we're trapped in sin, we're trapped in death. They didn't immediately die, but when they saw their son Cain, Abel, sorry, that Cain had killed, they knew death. They traded the truth of God for the lie of Satan. The truth of God, God had said to Adam in Genesis 2, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. Death will enter the world, you'll be immortal no longer. The lie of Satan, the serpent said to the woman, to Eve, you will not die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you will be like a God. 
So Jesus had come to conquer Satan, to establish his own kingdom, to take it back, to crush Satan's head, to free us from the powers of what? Sin and death. Satan had become the ruler of this world, and he had been ruling long enough. And the world had become his temporary kingdom. But Jesus is ushering a new kingdom in, in this Gospel of Luke. We're seeing it gradually unfold in advance. So some people say, well, why was there so much demonic activity in the first century? Why is Jesus always driving out demons? Because this was Satan's territory. This was Satan's kingdom. This is where he ruled. This is where he reigned. This is where he trapped people in bondage. And so Jesus is driving out demons time and time and time again. Then he tells the 12 they have authority to cast out demons. Now he tells 70 more today that they can drive out demons because it was demonic because Satan had been ruling the world since the fall. Here he was. He's on their side. He's got him trapped. And when he tempts Jesus, he took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. And he said to Jesus, to you, I will give all the authority and their glory because it's been delivered to me. It was his kingdom. And I'll give it to you. I'll give it to whoever I will because it's mine. I got it when I fell. And then you will worship me and it'll all be yours. And Satan didn't trick Jesus. He didn't fall for it. The devil had many people in the first century trapped in bondage of demonic possession, trapped in sin, trapped in death, trapped in evil. Like Mary Magdalene, who we met last week, who was trapped in a perfection of bondage, seven evil demons he drove out of her. Satan and demons were prowling the kingdom of the world, seeking the ruin of souls, anyone they could get, anyone they could keep from the beatific vision. And then the angel The beautiful angel, the messenger angel Gabriel comes and tells Mary that Jesus, her son, is going to reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And that his kingdom was going to have no end and new kingdoms in town. He's going to take it back. This is it. And Jesus said in Nazareth when he preached in Luke 4, I got to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also. This is the purpose for which I was sent to bring back the kingdom of God, to bring back his reign. And in the Sermon on the Plain, he tells them, blessed are the poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. And he said of John the Baptist, none's greater that's born of woman than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's a little hint. It's me. I'm here. I'm going to take the kingdom back. And all through so far, we've heard he's telling them to preach and bring the good news of the kingdom of God. It's made known to you the secrets of the kingdom of God. He sends 12 out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. He spoke to them of the kingdom of God. He cured those who needed healing. He said, some are standing here, won't taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. No one puts the hand to the plow and looks back. It's fit for the kingdom of God. And to the 70 today, the kingdom of God has come near you. Go tell them that. And if they don't listen, wipe the dust off your feet because the kingdom of God has come near. So the jig is up. He's come to take his reign. He's come to take his rule back from Satan. It's a cosmic battle. It's the battle of all time. Paul says to the Ephesians, we're not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of the present darkness, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This is a cosmic battle. Who won the battle? Really? Did you? You are such good Catholics. Is the battle over and done? Is he still at you? Is he still accusing you? Is he still condemning you? Is he holding you in bondage? 
The dragon was angry with the woman, Mary, the virgin woman. He went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. He's been duped at the cross when his head was crushed. When people got free from sin, when Jesus rose from the dead and people got free from death, he's super mad. He's mad at the virgin and he wants to make war on her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God and bear testimony to Jesus. That's us. This exorcist, Catholic priest from Italy, says, in my experience so far, I've done 2,300 rites of exorcism. I can say that the invocation of the Most Holy Virgin Mary often provokes significant reaction in the person being exorcised. Mary is powerful in spiritual battle. References are made. He said, when I make references to Mary calling out her titles, where she's appearing today, her current apparitions are especially powerful against Satan and his powers and his demons. We are going on a travel journey with Luke and Jesus. It's called the Luke travel narrative. It started in chapter nine, verse 51, and it'll go all the way through Luke 19. Jesus is on a journey now. So after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. He sent them ahead two by two to every town and every place where he himself was about to come. Prepare the way. Go, go. First he had sent 12. Now he's sending 70. That's 82 plus himself, 83. He's expanding. He's advancing his kingdom. Why 70? Remember when Noah, the flood came, God regretted he'd ever made humans. They were so evil, every inclination. And so he said, I'm going to destroy the earth. But he had favor on one family. He had grace on Noah and his three sons and their three wives and Noah's wife. And when they landed, they made a new covenant with God. And from this family, from these, the whole earth was peopled. Everything was wiped out. So from this, they have to repopulate the earth. And this is the table of nations in Genesis 10. And 70 nations will descend from Noah. 70. 70 nations. Now in Genesis 46, all the persons of the house of Jacob. Jacob had 12 tribes, 12 sons. But from the house of Jacob that came into Egypt, when you count them in the Bible, 70. Hmm. 12 tribes of Israel, number 70. Each clan is parallel to a specific non-Israelite nation. It says in Deuteronomy 32 that when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of men, which would be the Gentiles, he fixed the bounds of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, the Israelites, 70 and 70. And remember when Moses took them from Egypt and they landed this oasis in the desert and there's 70 palm trees and 12 springs and it's like 70. 70 nations and 12 tribes of Israel. And God told Moses to choose 70 elders. The Lord said to Moses, gather 70 men from the elders of Israel, who you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of the meeting. And I will come down and I'll talk with you there. And I'll take some of the spirit, which is on you, Moses, and I'll put it onto them that they shall help you bear the burden of this people that is with you because you cannot bear it alone. And so God took the spirit that was on Moses and put it on these 70. So they can help rule and govern these grumbling Israelites that are numbering thousands. Moses went out, told the people the words of the Lord. He gathered 70 of the elders together. He placed them around the tent. The Lord came down in a cloud and spoke. He took some of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. That was part one of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.